Have you ever heard the voice of God? Have you ever heard the voice of God? Is it something you feel like you've experienced? It, for some of you, like you might overcomplicate it and think it needs to be a booming voice from a bush or something like in the Bible. But God can speak to us through thoughts. Like sometimes I'll download thoughts into my, right, into my mind. Sometimes he can speak to me through a Christian friend. Sometimes he speaks through the scriptures. But there's a time when I was a sophomore here at UNI and I was um, in the shower in Norn on the second floor and I was just praying. So that visual, but anyways, I'm praying, God, speak to me. I said, speak to me. I said, God, give me something to pray for this morning. And I felt like my brother's name was dropped in my head as my older brother, Aaron. And at the time, he was a fifth-year senior here at UNI, and he was preparing to go to law school. And he had applied for a few schools and hadn't heard back, and there was one specifically that he really wanted to get into. And I just felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, pray that he would get into that specific school. So I was like, okay. So I prayed that prayer. And then me and Aaron had a class together that day because we arranged it. It was his last semester. So uh, we had a law and politics class together. And then afterwards, we're walking by the Camp Neal, and I just looked at him, and I was like, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that I prayed for you to get into that school this morning. He's like, okay, cool, you know, whatever. And he walks on, and about two minutes later, he texts me. He's like, dude, you're never going to believe this. Right after you told me that, I got an email on my phone telling me that I got accepted to that school. And it had been eight weeks since I applied, and they were way behind, and they sent it right after you said you prayed for me. So that really encouraged his faith. It just built it up. It built up my faith to say that hearing God's voice does not have to be so spooky and like, you know, like, where's the voice from heaven? Where's the angel on a harp, on a cloud, playing the harp? Is that how that goes? But instead, it can sometimes just be thoughts that, that come to your head. So tonight I want to talk about, it's our last uh, sermon in our series on evangelism called Sense. And evangelism is simply put, just the art of sharing Jesus with people, okay? So this is the last week of this series, and I thought as we're concluding this series, I thought it might be appropriate to talk about the Holy Spirit and how he can speak to us and lead us in our evangelism efforts. I believe that the Spirit of God wants to help us reach out to our friends. We don't have to say, hey, I'm going to go tell someone about Jesus and put it all on our own backs. We don't have to say, hey, I have to do this today, and then it's this weight where I have to tell five people about Jesus today. If I don't do that, then God doesn't love me. No, instead, what it is, is we pray to the Holy Spirit and we say, God, will you highlight people to me throughout the day and tell me who I should talk to? And then if you pray for God to do that, what you're going to see, as we'll talk about tonight, is that God will highlight opportunities. There'll be golden opportunities where God will say, this is your moment to share your faith with this person. I'll tell some stories from my own life today, but uh, just as we were considering this series and thinking about how we wanted to title it, or what we wanted to title it, like originally I was thinking Go, which is so typical for a mission series, but, but I felt like God wanted me to call this series Sent. And, and the reason for that is I feel like sometimes we view this evangelism, this, this reaching out to our friends as something we have to do in our own strength. We say we have to go and do this is something I have to work for. But instead, I think God wants us to think of it in the terms of we're a sent people. And if we're sent by God, think about this, the God who's over the hundreds of billions of galaxies, like he's over that, if he's the one sending us, then that can give us confidence in our efforts in evangelizing our campus and reaching our campus. Because God is sending us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the one who defeated death and hell in the grave, is sending us to our campus. And if he is sending to us, if he is fighting for us, as we reach out to our friends, then it's going to be a lot better than us feeling like, hey, I have to go 
and do this. And, and go is a fair thing to say. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there is an essence of go, but I think we have to go in the mindset that God is sending us. So tonight we're going to talk about God's voice and how he can lead us in these efforts. And I believe if we pray and listen to the voice of God, we will be so much more successful in our efforts in reaching out to our friends. And, and God will set these things up called divine appointments. Have you heard the word or the phrase divine appointments? I've said it a lot. So divine appointments are when God arranges an event. Like he arranges something in your day where he wants to bring people together to accomplish his purpose. So maybe you'll be in your classroom and someone will, or it's a Tuesday, and that person will ask you to say, hey, what are you doing tonight? And then you say, hey, I'm going to Chi Alpha. And then all of a sudden, boom, the conversation turns spiritual as you've just been open. You're like, hey, I'm going to a church service. And then God might lead that person to ask you a question like, hey, why do you believe that? And then all of a sudden, it turns spiritual, and God gives you an opportunity to share your faith. Or maybe you'll go to the dining center, and God just highlights someone to you that's sitting by themselves. They're sitting at the bar, you know, watching football. That's what I always did when I was a student because I just like to eat by myself. It's weird. But anyways, you go up to that person, and you say, hey, I just felt like uh, that I wanted to have dinner with you. You don't have to make it weird. You don't have to say, God sent me here to you to have dinner with you. Instead, you just hang out with that person. You get to know them. You love that person. Maybe they'll be someone in your class that's discouraged, and God will ask you to encourage them. Divine appointments can look like many different things. But my prayer is that students would not only encounter Christ on Tuesday nights here at Chi Alpha, but also in the WRC and the Redeker Center and Bender Hall and Dancer Hall all across this campus as the students of Chi Alpha and the students of all the campus ministries are going out to our campus and sharing their faith. Because Everywhere you walk, you bring the Spirit of God with you. If you're in Christ, you bring the Spirit of God with you. And I pray that as you walk onto this campus, that you would bring God's Spirit with you, and that you would have your ear tuned to heaven, and, and that you could bring messages from God to the students of this campus. So tonight, that's what we're going to talk about, and this uh, sermon title is called Partnering with the Spirit. Partnering with the Spirit, because what we do in evangelism is not on our own efforts. Instead, it's something we do where we partner with the Spirit, and we help Him lead people to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles tonight, and I hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at the story of the Apostle Paul, and more specifically, Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul. Okay, so tonight I'm going to uh, refer to Paul as Saul, as Paul, and as Apostle Paul. It's all the same dude. Like after he got saved, he decided to call himself something different. I don't know, it's weird. But so Saul, Paul, Apostle Paul. And I just want to say too, while you're turning in your Bibles, I'm so glad you're here tonight. If you're new, I hope that uh, we had an opportunity to meet each other, and if we did not, I pray that you would be brave and come up and talk to me after service if I don't catch you, and that other could be a friendship. You know, we're together. This next week, we're going to talk about being together. We're in community together, and I pray that this wouldn't be a place where you just come, and you sit, and you listen to me preach, but also we develop friendships with each other, okay? So I just want to say I'm so glad you're here. But yeah, let's get into this Acts chapter 9. So Saul was a pretty bad dude. He was a religious leader in uh, the Jewish religion in in Jesus' day. And, and when Jesus was crucified and rose again, Saul was one of the first people that was just bent on persecuting Christians. I don't know if you know this, but just after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven, Christianity was just widely persecuted. Uh, the Roman Empire, the Jewish people were trying to put down Christianity. They did not want this strand of thought and this religion to come out of Judaism. They wanted to put it down. And Saul was one of the main people who was putting down Christians. He was there when Stephen, who was the first martyr, so 
or so a martyr, someone who's killed for their faith. Okay, Stephen was the first Christian martyr, and Saul was there. Saul was there in Acts chapter 6, and he watched it happen. He was a part of it. But then God meets Saul. He meets Saul. He shows himself to Saul, and Saul's life completely changes. And he becomes the Apostle Paul. He becomes the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. He goes gangbusters for Jesus. He plants churches all throughout the Middle East and gets all the way to Rome before he dies. The Apostle Paul is an incredible man of God. God uses someone who is evil, someone who is a varsity sinner, like most of us are JV, let's be honest. He's a varsity sinner, killing Christians. God then uses him to be a light to the Gentiles, and he uses him to build the church among people who are not Jewish. So tonight, the main idea is going to be this. And something I want you to get to before I share the main idea is that in Saul's conversion story, it wasn't just Jesus showing himself to him, but there was at least two other people, if not a lot more, that were actually a part of his conversion story. And tonight we're going to kind of read ourselves into the text and see how we can be a part of other people's conversion story where they put their faith in Jesus, okay? So the main idea is this. God has called us to partner with him in discipling our campus by, or by listening to his voice, by sharing his love, and walking alongside people in their journey, in their faith journey. So tonight I'm going to talk about faith journey a lot. That's just the journey of someone not being a Christian to becoming a Christian and then growing in their faith. So it's that whole journey. And discipling, so you, or some of you haven't heard this word before, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Discipling is just the process of leading people into relationship with Christ and then leading them to become, or to become more like him. So disciples are essentially just little Jesuses, okay? So we're all little Jesuses walking around. So we're trying to make little Jesuses on our campus, all right? All right, cool. I'm going to pray over this text before we jump into it. God, we thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here. Spirit of God, we ask you to speak to us tonight. God, I pray that this would not just be a lecture or a talk, but that this would be an encounter with your love and an encounter with your spirit. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would activate us for your mission on the campus. I pray that you'd open our eyes. Some of us have been seeing our campus with an earthly perspective Tonight, God, I pray that, that you would take the scales off our eyes and help us to see the potential all around us as there are students all around our campus who desperately need an encounter with your love and they need to be set on fire for your mission. So God, I pray that, that you would lead us into that tonight. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to read this story quick. And we got a lot of verses, but I'm going to split them up into three parts. So bear with me. We're going to read the first nine verses first. You can take a nap. We'll read the other ones later. I'm kidding. All right, but Saul... Or Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, so that's what they called Christianity at first, was the way, if they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he wants to bind Christians. He wants to arrest them. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Think about that encounter. Whoa, we just read this like, okay, it's in the Bible, it's cool. No, like he encounters the person who he's killing people for following, that Jesus, this big light, this big God moment, divine encounter, like just try to picture that. So anyways, he says that, and he says, but then rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, as that makes a lot of sense. And he said, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, they couldn't see him like Paul could. And Saul 
then rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So tonight we're going to use Paul's story to look at three steps in a person's faith journey of coming to know Jesus and then beginning to walk with him. And we're going to see how we can partner uh, with the Holy Spirit in this process. So the first step is this. It's, it's God. Okay, the first step is God's pursuit of a person. That's the first thing that happens in anyone's faith journey. God begins to pursue. I've heard it said that God is the hound of heaven. He pursues us. God's been pursuing you. Maybe you came here tonight and you're not a Christian. God is pursuing you. God is in love with you despite your flaws. You're more flawed than you could ever imagine. You're more flawed than you think. But at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. And God is pursuing you with that love. And God's pursuing every single student on our campus with that love. He is pursuing them. He is trying to encounter them. And God is involved from beginning to end in our faith journey. He's the one who begins it. He's the one who completes it. God is the only person who can change, or God's the only yeah, person who can change a person's heart. So the first week of this series, I established two great facts of the universe, and I didn't come up or come up with this myself. I stole it from my professor in Bible college. But anyways, I'll take credit for it. I can't do it now. But anyways, so two things. The first thing is there is a God, okay? The great fact of the universe, there is a God. And I want to say like how I know that. Okay, this morning I woke up and I looked at my app, like my weather app on my phone. It's a 90% chance of rain at 7 and 8. I'm like, heck no, Lord, because I know some students are not going to come if it's raining like that. I said, Jesus, I rebuked that storm in your name, and it did not rain at 7 or 8. That's how I know there's a God. All right, first thing, and that doesn't just happen in that situation. God's been moving a lot in my life. I'm really excited about him. But anyways, the second thing, there's a God, and the second thing is you are not God, okay? So in your evangelism efforts, you are not God. You're not going to change a person's heart. You're not able to do that. You're not that smart. You're not that clever. You're not that persuasive. God will not... Or God will not use you to change a person's heart. Instead, God will change a person's heart, and he'll use you to partner with him, kind of be like his sidekick, okay? But you're not going to be the one who does the changing. You just have to bring a message. So I think it's important as we begin to talk about a person's faith journey and, and our partnering with the Spirit to understand that it's on God. It's not on you. Yeah, God's called you to be obedient. Jesus has called you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you're not the one who changes a person. You're not the one who brings a person from darkness to light. God is. God is the one who's pursuing. God is the one who can change a person's heart. And God knows everything about the students on our campuses. You gotta, or on our campus, you got to think about this. Like God has known them since before they were in their mother's womb. He knows everything about the students on our campus. He knows your greatest hopes and your greatest dreams, and he also knows your greatest struggles. He knows the darkest thing about your life. God knows it. But at the same time, he's pursuing you, and he's pursuing the students on our campus. And God has called us to, to go with them onto the campus and, and to be his or to be his messenger. So if we want to reach this campus, we have to get God's heart for it. We have to get the fact that God loves our campus. He loves the students of Unite. Jesus loves Panthers. Come on, somebody. Jesus loves Panthers. Jesus loves your roommate, even if that person's really messy and really dirty, and they show up at like 3 a.m. on Sunday mornings after going out all night. Jesus loves your roommate. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves Panthers. He's so passionate about Panthers. Jesus loves students way more than you do, okay? So he is going to do some work in your evangelism efforts. And, and God loves the students so much on our campus, and, and God loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you. And if you've heard that a hundred times because you grew up in church, I just ask you tonight to 
or to let that sink in one more time, that God loves you so much that he sent his own son, a part of the Trinity, so one God, three persons. We're not going to talk about that tonight, but it's complicated anyways. Just one God, three persons. Jesus is a part of the Trinity. He comes out of that. He comes to earth. He is born as a baby. He just lives a perfect life, obeying the law to a T. He loves people well. He raises people from the dead. And then he gets punished by being put on a cross and crucified because he's paying our penalty on the cross. He's paying for our sins. He's paying for our lives that each of us have lived. And he thought of each of you when he was on the cross. Do you realize that? He knew everything you would ever do, and he still stood up there. Jesus loves you. And then he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. You get that? He rose from the dead. And ask any atheist scholar to explain it, and they don't have good explanations for it. Because history backs us up that Jesus rose from the dead. The sources that are there at the time, even the non-Christian sources, they back up the fact that Jesus completed his mission by rising from the dead. God is able to save the students on our campus, and God is able to pursue them with so much love. Acts 9, 2 through 3, we read in Paul's story, says he's asking the high priest for letters to the synagogues, at Damascus so that he could find the Christians and, and bind them. But then, you know, he's doing that. He's opposing God, an enemy of God. And then a light comes from heaven. A light comes from heaven. Jesus says, I am not going to allow you to continue down that road, but I'm going to actually use you for an instrument to bring the nations to my feet. And he wants to do that. There are some people on our campus that God wants to use to reach thousands of people with the gospel. But they're not saved yet. They're not Christians yet. They need you to go and be a messenger. Say, God has a different plan for your life. God has a different plan for you. You're going this way, but God actually has called you to be a preacher of the gospel. God's called you to go into the marketplace and to bring his gospel to your coworkers. God has called you to transform this university and to transform the marketplace and to transform the world. God has called you to that, but you just need to wake up and see his love for you. But guys, some of you are called to speak to people and you haven't done it yet. So I pray that you begin to ask God, say, God, show me who I'm supposed to talk to today. Do not let me waste another day just doing uh, homework and going to classes and going to work. But instead, let me seize every opportunity to share your love with people. So I've seen this happen. I've been campus pastor here for, it's my third school year now. The first school year, God did an amazing work. There was a student, two students, Josh and Jacob Hant. Some of you know them because they were here last year, but a lot of you are new, so you don't uh, remember them or you never met them. But they were a junior and a sophomore, and these guys smoked weed with the best of them, okay? Smoked a lot of weed, did a lot of drugs, you know, uh, drank a lot of alcohol, like all that kind of stuff. And their mom calls us on the phone and says, hey, my boys are at the University of Northern Iowa, and I just, I don't know what to do. I just can't seem to get them to Jesus, could you reach out to them? And I'm thinking, okay, this is not going to work. A mom calling me, like, that never works. Like, whenever your mom's calling me, it doesn't work. I don't know why. I feel like you guys say, my mom's calling him? No, I'm not going. But anyways, I called. Well, I didn't call. Our staff member did. And they met with Josh. And Josh came to the church, and, and he had tears in his eyes as he was just sharing his struggle. He's saying, you know, like, like, I know this isn't what God's plan for my life is, but I just am, like, I'm addicted. I'm struggling with my self-image. I don't have any friends, like, like, I have friends, but they're not real friends, and I just don't know what to do. And I said, Josh, why don't you come to our fall retreat, which was the next weekend. And, and Josh comes to fall retreat. He gave up Hawkeye football tickets to come to fall retreat, and he wasn't even saved at this point. So some of you that come up with these excuses for not coming, come on. An unsaved dude gives up his Hawkeye tickets to come to fall retreat. 
Come on, we don't got good excuses in this place. But anyways, Josh comes, and on the Friday night of service, he just comes to the altar and just gives it all to Jesus, weeping before the Lord, giving it all to him. Saturday, he gets baptized in water, and then Sunday night, it continues. This is what I love. Like, I don't want your guys' experiences with God to start and end at these big worship services. Like, I want it to continue out when you go out in daily life. And for Josh, that's what happened. He went uh, just home on Sunday, and he called me on the phone about 9 o'clock at night, which that's fine if you want to call me then, but don't do it often. Anyways, he called me, and he's like, hey, hey, Pastor Daniel, I have my drugs in my hand. I have my pipe, and I want to throw it away because I think Jesus is telling me to do that. But my friends are telling me that this is uh, too expensive to throw away. Do you think I should throw it away or give it to them? I'm like, throw it away. That's a good idea. You should probably throw those drugs away. Throws them away. Cool. Josh is just going for it. And then on Monday, I go to the WRC to work out, okay? And that's my time. It's me time. I'm just going to work out, you know, get a pump in. And I see Josh in the corner with a bunch of dudes. They all have bloodshot eyes, smoked weed before, besides Josh. But anyways, He's talking to him about Jesus. He's just so fired up. And I'm thinking, that's really cool. Go, buddy. I'm going to lift. But anyways, Josh brings them over to me. He's like, tell them about Jesus. So I began to share with them about Jesus. And one of those guys was this little brother who didn't, uh, the week before, he didn't agree to meet with us. And uh, I told Jacob, well, Jacob looks at me and says, I have no idea what happened to my brother. He has tears in his eyes. He's like, he's different. He's just a completely different person. It's a, you know, a Saul to Paul type thing that happened with Josh. I said, Jacob, come to Chi Alpha. So he came to Chi Alpha and but the next week, he showed up at like 9 o'clock, you know, which that's fine if you want to come late, but, but anyways, I'm not bitter, but anyways, it came late, and, uh, and, he, and he walks in, and, and he just hears the gospel message at the end, like not the sermon, just like the gospel at the end, and he raises his hand for salvation, and, and Jacob put his faith in Jesus and got baptized in water as well and became a small group leader. Both of them were small group leaders, and, and they led other people to the Lord, but, but the reason I share that story is I think like for me on the service level, when I met Josh, I was thinking, first of all, your mom is trying to get me to talk to you. That is... That does not work. You're really addicted to stuff. It's easy to start to rationalize and say, there's no way that this person could get saved. But God is doing stuff in people's hearts that you do not even have any clue what's going on. God is speaking to people in dreams. I believe that God is, is just putting thoughts in people's heads. God is trying to pursue our campus, but sometimes we need to partner with him and participate. But sometimes we say, ah, oh, God, you would never do that with that person. They're just too opposed to you. And I just believe that's from the pit of hell. I believe that that mindset where we try to figure out if someone will respond is from the pit of hell that's from Satan. I just pray tonight that each of us would repent of that and say, hey, we're going to go after every single student. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what they believe. doesn't matter where they're at. We're going to share the love of Jesus with them. All right? Second thing tonight. The second step is this. Let me find it. Well, actually, i got to read the passage first. Let's keep going. Verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, then look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man, or a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, He said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, shut up. No, he didn't say shut up, but he should have. He said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may, get, or so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to start saying that to people in your classes. The Lord has sent me to you so that you, or that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm kidding. Don't do that. But anyways, 
unless the Lord tells you to. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized. He was baptized. You see that, like how quick that was? He got up, he got saved, he got baptized. I pray that if you have put your faith in Jesus, that you would do what Saul did, get baptized. That's something that God commanded us to do. In Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples and baptize them. So I just, just want to throw it out there. But anyways, where am I at? Verse 19, taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. All right. The second step in a person's faith journey is the Spirit asks us to partner with him in introducing that person to Jesus. So Ananias' role in the story. He was called to go and confirm what God was doing in his heart and, and to give him instructions on how to put his faith in Jesus and be filled in the, or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So God has called us to be like Ananias and, and go and tell people about Jesus. And guys, Paul was killing Christians. Saul was killing Christians. So there's no doubt that Ananias was pretty afraid. He was thinking, am I hearing you right, God? Like, like I need a real booming voice this time. It was probably a booming voice, but I need like bushes to be burning, like houses to be falling, like something crazy needs to happen. If I'm going to go to this person, he probably thought, God, you're off your rocker. Do you know this person? Have you ever thought that like God told you something? You're like, dude, what are you talking about? Sometimes that happens. But ultimately, when push came to shove, Ananias submitted his will to God's will. I pray that as a people, we would do that. As students at UNI, we would just submit our will to God's will, no matter what he says. Because he's God. He's a lot smarter than us. Okay? So anyway, submits his will to God's. And he goes to Saul. And through his ministry, Saul, or Saul regains his sight, and he's filled with the Spirit of God. And then the chair on top is he got to baptize him in water. That's the most beautiful thing to get to do. Probably one of my favorite things of being a pastor is baptizing people in water. And if Ananias had not obeyed God, he would have missed out on all of that. God wants us to be Ananias's to people on our campus. That's hard to say, but Ananias's to people on our campus. God wants us to, to get in his presence, to hear his voice, and to go to people and to love them with Christ's love. I believe God can give you information about people that you shouldn't know. That's a prophetic word. I believe God can give you a message of wisdom or, or a message of knowledge for people to share with them. To say, I was just praying this morning. You don't do it weird. Don't go and say, thus saith the Lord. And then, no, no, you go and say, hey, you know, I was just praying for you this morning. I just felt like God said this. Does this make sense to you? And if it doesn't, you say, okay, forget it. I had pizza last night. Forgive me. But if it makes sense to them, praise God, all right? So anyways, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would just allow God to give you divine appointments throughout your day. God wants to use you to be an ambassador for his name on the campus. God wants to give you divine appointments. So for me, divine appointments often happen when people say, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I'll tell you about that. I'm a pastor. And then they're like, oh. Like a lot of times I get my hair cut. Every time those ladies are like, hey, what do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor at UNI. And every time they think I'm a student. I don't know why, but they just assume I'm a student. And then I have to, you know, explain to them that I'm a pastor. And then we eventually get into spiritual conversations. You know, go get haircuts. That's a really good place to talk to people about Jesus because they have to talk to you, Okay. So you tell them about Jesus and his love for them. But anyways, I'm going to change the subject from haircuts to Target. So anyways, I'm at Target four years ago. And uh, I'm in Bible college at the time, and I'm working with a bunch of guys who do not know Jesus. And I'm taking this evangelism class. And think about if you had to do this for one of your classes. The professor says, if you don't share your faith with three people this semester, you're going to fail this class. You have to share your faith with people. If you don't, you'll fail. I'm like, all right, Lord, please give me divine appointments. Please. Because I had straight A's, and I was not about to get a bad grade in that class. So for the first time, I actually was like, 
praying for divine appointments, okay? So God can use our, our bad motivations sometimes to, or to do some cool stuff. So anyways, I began to pray. It was getting really close to the first deadline. I was like, Lord, please, please give me a divine appointment. And when I get to Target, I pull out my, or at the time it was an iPod Touch. I would carry like my phone and my iPod Touch in my pocket. So bad. But anyways, I got my iPod Touch out and, uh, and I was turning it on. I was just you know, jacked up to listen to some music and my iPod was dead. And see, oftentimes the iPod was the hindrance to me having conversations with people because I had my headphones in. Take your headphones out when you're walking on campus. You want divine appointments? Take your headphones out. All right, so anyways, my iPod's dead, and God says, here you go. I'm like, all right, it's coming tonight. So uh, I go back there, and I, like, right away, like, it's like 10 minutes, and I have a divine appointment because people ask you, you know, what's your major? For me, it's pastoral studies. That's pretty easy to talk about Jesus. And then the night goes on. I'm feeling good. I'm like, I got what I need for my assignment, which how bad is that? But anyways, that's what I was thinking. And uh, it's like late at night, we're about to close, and there's this guy, just me and him left in the back room, and this guy I did not like, and just didn't. He was arrogant, condescending, very vulgar, like just nasty dude. But anyways, we're sitting there, and I'm like, God, I don't want a divine appointment right now. But he says, hey, what's your major? I say, pastoral studies. And then he begins to uh, just ask me questions about my faith, and I find out he's a pretty angry atheist. But anyways, we begin to talk, and he was fairly uh, courteous the first time we talked, but, but we're just talking back and forth, and and he's telling me how, you know, like maybe in the future I would consider religion, but right now I want to drink and I want to sleep around. I'm like, well, okay, but, but let me talk to you about Jesus. He's not here to just get you to do good things, but, but he wants to show you how much he loves you. And then out of that you'll transform, but, but it's not about just like not drinking and sleeping around. If you think that's what Christianity is about, like, like totally wrong. It's not just about not doing bad things. Christianity is about being so compelled by something so good that you don't want to do those things. So I got to talk with him that night, and he didn't like bow down and just give his heart to Jesus, but I believe I planted a seed in his heart. I don't know if there had ever been anyone who had shared the gospel with him before that. He grew up in Romania. He was, uh, you know, it's the Eastern Orthodox Church over there. I don't know if he had ever heard anything like that about Jesus loving him despite his flaws. And, and I believe that that seed has been growing for the last four years, and that God will bring it to fruition at some point in his life. I'm just praying for that. So with this story in mind, I want to give you some practical tips of how to, to hear divine appointments, how to, or to have them. So the first thing that we'll see from this is in verse 11. The Lord says to Ananias, he says, rise and go to the street called straight. So first thing you have to do is listen, okay? Listen to God. Do you listen to God often? Do you ever sit and say, God, speak to me? Like if your time with Jesus is just, oh, I'm supposed to read a chapter because Pastor Daniel said that's what we do. You go, da 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 okay, done, thank God. That's probably, not, that's probably not the right way. Instead, we should read. We should, we should ask the Spirit to speak to us as we're reading. And then I think there should be a time at the end of our time in the Word where we say, God, will you speak to me? And listen to his voice. See what he might say. And at first, it might be hard to hear his voice. But keep doing that. I promise you, if you keep asking him, he's going to speak to you. So that's the first part of it. And then in verse 13 through 15, we see that, that Ananias starts to tell Jesus about you know, who Saul is. He's like, do you really know who he is? Do you really know who Saul is? But anyway, so the second thing is we have to see from God's perspective. See, Ananias was seeing from his own perspective. But then he had to shift and see it from God's perspective that anything is possible with God, that, that there's no student on our campus who should be written off. There's no one who's a, a sinner enough to not be able to be transformed by God's grace. Saul killed Christians, okay? I don't think anyone here, maybe, I don't think so, anyone at UNI has killed Christians, okay? So anyone can come to Jesus on this campus. Do you believe that? So we have to see from God's perspective. We have to, or to listen to his voice and then see it from his perspective that anything is possible with God. And the third thing is from verse 17 and 18. 
he gets up and he does it. He does it. Okay, so the third thing you have to do is you have to act. You have to obey. Obey. Like, I love those shirts. They say obey. I don't know what it's about, but it says obey. Like, obedience is underrated in our culture. Obey. Obey God. Do what he told you to do. Some of you want to hear more from God, but you haven't obeyed the last thing he told you. We need to obey God. We need to go do it. So step out in faith. You're not going to die. It's not going to be the end of the world. You might look stupid. I've looked stupid before. Lots of times. I look stupid like every time I try to introduce myself to you guys. It's all good. You might look stupid, but go and obey God and then see what happens. All right? So there's one more piece, then we're done. Okay? So it's from the last verses here. Let's just see what the last piece of this is. I think this is really going to be incredible for you. So then immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. So Paul, or Saul becomes Paul, he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He did not waste any time. He is the Son of God. He starts proclaiming that. And all who heard were just amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That probably won't happen to you at you and I, so you're going to be good. Anyways, they plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples, I see the disciples roll here. This is going to be the kicker. Took him by night, and they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Just think of a grown man in a basket. But anyways, verse 26, And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, oh, Barnabas, he's my boy. He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Greeks, is what that word means, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Verse 31, get this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It multiplied. Through Saul, it multiplied. So the third step in a person's faith journey is the Spirit comes and asks us to come, along, or to come alongside the new believer, the seeking person, and help them grow. God calls us to disciple. That's what discipleship is. You help people grow in their faith. So we need to come alongside people. We need to contend for new Christians. We need to contend for those who are seeking. And in prayer, we need to contend for them. In prayer, we need to, to encourage them. We need to believe in them. We need to believe in them. We need to believe that God could do something impossible because new Christians, oftentimes, they're still going to struggle, okay? Like I did when I was a new Christian. I struggled for a while, for a long while, but I needed people to continue to help me to grow out of these things, these different habits I had. God wants you to help people grow. So there's four pieces of this, and it's just going to share it quick like I did on the last point. First thing we got to get if we're going to help people grow is we have to watch out for our unbelief and God's ability to do the impossible I believe that faith is the currency of heaven. I believe that faith moves things. Faith changes campuses. Faith changes our cities. Faith changes our state. Faith changes the nation. That's why we're going to do all night prayer. I believe that faith and praying for God to show up changes things. But the opposite of that is unbelief. And I believe unbelief can, 
can strangle God's blessing. I believe unbelief can bring people down. And please, I pray that you would not let unbelief take a hold on your heart or cynicism and prevent God from doing amazing works in the students that are in your circle in their lives. I pray that your unbelief would not prevent God from reaching out to them. So verse 21 says, And all who heard him were amazed. They said, Is not this the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem? And, and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? These guys are lame. They're lame. Like, Jesus rose from the dead. If that happened, you should believe that Paul could change. Like, you saw Jesus rise from the dead, and you're saying that Saul cannot change? You're really stupid. Anyways, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. When those who are far from God come to faith or begin to explore the things of faith, don't be a hindrance to them encountering God. Do not doubt their genuineness. Believe in them. Believe that God can do the impossible. Don't be caught off guard when those who are far from God come to him because that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. The second thing is we must help people to grow in the basic things of faith. We need to be willing to answer questions. We need to be willing to teach, to share our story with them, to pray with them, to stay up late with them in your dorm while they ask you a billion questions about the Bible and you don't know the answer to 75% of them. You say, hey, I'll ask my pastor. Or, hey, I'll look on Google later. That's what I do a lot of times. You guys ask me, I Google it. Like someone asked me last week, Does, or did Jesus poop? Well, I know Jesus pooped, but they asked me, like, <laughs> like, will we poop in heaven? And I Googled it, and maybe. I don't know. I didn't find an answer. <laughs> but you've got to be willing to walk through this stuff with people, okay? And you have to be willing to get this. I know that's funny, but get this. You have to be willing to inconvenience yourself for people. If we live in the selfie generation, it's all about me. Look at my Instagram. We have to be willing to lay down your life for other people, to inconvenience yourself, to maybe not get to study for seven hours for that test, but just six and a half. You might have to inconvenience yourself, but it's worth it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's worth it that a person could go from darkness to light through you going the extra mile. It's worth it. But you have to be willing to inconvenience, or to inconvenience yourself. Do you believe that the disciples in the early church inconvenienced themselves? Absolutely. They were crucified on crosses. They were killed for their faith. That's pretty big inconvenience. But for us, we're like, I need me time. From 6 to, to 11.30, that's my Netflix time. And then Hulu after that till 2 o'clock. <laughs> inconvenience yourself for others, please. Third thing, we must be a Barnabas to people. I love Barnabas. He's an encourager. Barnab or Barnabas, the name means son of encouragement. Be a Barnabas for people. It says that he took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them. He said, this dude's legit. He is legit. He's preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas was an encourager. I pray that you would encourage people as they begin their journey of faith. So for the last two weeks, we've read the first part of the Great Commission. But verse 20 says this, teaching them. So it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then it says teaching them. That's part of it as well. You have to teach people to observe all that I've commanded you. So we go and we make disciples, we baptize them just as, an, just as Ananias did. But the second part is we have to teach people to observe all that God has commanded them. And I believe Barnabas did this for Paul. We need to be willing to, to do the hard work of getting into the thick of life with people and help them discover God's will for their life. The, third, or the fourth thing and the final thing is this. We must know that God is going to use these people to do great things and to advance his church. God is going to use your disciple right now to do even greater things than you're doing. I believe that. I believe that the next person, hopefully it's not for a long time, but the next person who takes over this ministry is going to do greater things than I'm going to do. I believe that. I pray for that. 
I pray that the disciples who we raise up would go way further than us. And they would advance the kingdom. That's what we see with Paul. Paul kicks some booty, all right? Verse 28 through 31. He's like been saved for two hours. No, I'm kidding. It's longer than that, but not that long. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He's already beat a lot of us. A lot of us aren't very bold, but anyways. And he spoke and disputed against the Greeks. He's like debating people, okay? I don't know if you should do that, but anyways. But they're seeking to kill him. And when the brothers had learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. In verse 31, as I said, the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, was being built up, and it multiplied. God used Paul to do mighty things. He preached boldly. He contended for our faith with the Greeks, even as they sought to kill him. And the church multiplied through his ministry. I pray that the church would multiply through the people who you reach out to on this campus. I believe that. We've got to believe that God has us, that God has this for us here at UNI. He wants to reach those who are furthest from him. And for them not to only come into relationship with him and encounter his love, but then to go out and build the church and advance his mission. But it's up to us to walk with people, to be a Barnabas, to encourage them, to not just say, hey, pray a prayer quick and then go away. And we pray a prayer with them of salvation and we walk with them day in, day out. We disciple them. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for two weeks or you've been a Christian for 10 years, whatever. Like if there's someone that's behind you in their journey, you can disciple them. You can disciple each other. God's called you. I don't care how much you know about the Bible. If you're growing in the Lord, you're hungry for him, and you want to do his mission, go out and do it. Share your story. Say, God did this in my heart. I pray that we would catch that vision on our campus, and we will see our group and the church at large here at UNI multiply through that. All right, if the worship team would come up. We're going to close here. Um, the main idea tonight is this, again, if you forgot already. God has called us to partner with him in discipling our campus by listening to his voice, by listening, by sharing his love, so being obedient, going and doing it, and then going on a journey with people by walking alongside them. And tonight, we all come here at different places in our journey. We all come here at different places in our personal faith journey. Some of you have yet to realize that God is pursuing you, that God is pursuing you. And I pray that as you listen to me, discuss the process of leading others to faith in Jesus, that you would see God's hand in your life, that you would see God's pursuit of you. Just by you coming here tonight, that's God pursuing you. He's known you since before you were born. He created you. He loves you desperately despite your sins. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you. But the only way we can come to him because of our sin, like I said earlier, is to to put our faith in him and to believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross pays our penalty and to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead and he defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave through that. I pray tonight that you be caught up in that story, that you would put your faith in Jesus and be a part of the greatest story that's ever been told, to be able to have a relationship with the King of kings, with the God over the hundreds of billions of galaxies, to have a relationship with him. There's no better thing you can put your heart to. There's no better thing that you can give your life for. And I pray that you would allow God through that relationship, to use you to reconcile other people on this campus, other people in the marketplace as you go out from here after you graduate, and other people in our world to Christ. I pray that your life would be characterized by knowing God and making him known. I pray that for you. But there's others of us here tonight who you put your faith in Jesus, but you need to walk alongside other people. You need someone to walk alongside you specifically. You need a Barnabas. You're very new in your faith. 
And you need community. We're going to talk about that, uh, that topic next week. For three weeks, we'll talk about community. You need community. You need a Barnabas in your life. You cannot do the Christian life on your own. This idea that you can be a Christian but not be a part of a church or be part of a Christian community is completely anti-biblical and it's from hell. It really is. Because Satan knows if he can isolate you, then he can strangle you, that he can take your faith from you. You need community. You need a Barnabas. So I pray tonight that you would commit to finding yourself a Barnabas, that you would commit to jumping in a small group, to be part of a community of people, five to ten people who get together and read the Bible they spend time together and they confess their sins to each other and there's a small group leader who is just a little further along in their journey and they can encourage you in your faith. I pray tonight that you would find a Barnabas, that you would just give it all to them. Just tell them your stuff, tell them your junk. Like small group leaders, they have to do it because I told them they do, so they're going to be your Barnabas or someone else that's further along in their journey. And the last thing tonight is there's some of you in this room, you're a Christian, you're growing in the things of the Lord and God is saying it is time. It is time. You're no longer in this growing phase. You're going to keep growing, but but you're no longer getting prepared for this. You need to go out and do it. I'm calling you to be a Barnabas. God has called uh, just different men and women in this room to be mighty, mighty men and women in the kingdom of God, to, to be leaders in the kingdom. I believe that there are people in this room who are going to have just ministries. I believe some of you are called to full-time ministry. Some of you are not. Probably most of you are not. You're at you and I. But, but there's some people here who are called to full-time ministry, and you're going to change cities. I believe that God's going to use you change cities, but it starts here at United. It starts with you being a Barnabas to someone else. It starts with you obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. It starts with you saying, I'm going to obey when the Spirit of God speaks to me. I'm going to be, in a, be an Ananias and go in and share what God's told me to say. I pray that you would jump into that because it's the best thing, best thing you can ever do. I've tried everything and the best thing to do is be a Barnabas for someone else. It's the most amazing thing to do with your life. It's way better than being a teacher. All right, wait, those things are good. It's way better than being a pastor even or being a preacher. It's better than being an accountant. Getting to walk alongside other people, encourage them in their journey and to lead them closer to Jesus is the greatest thing you can ever do. So I pray that you guys would, uh, would receive that tonight. So if you would stand with me, we're going to close. I just want to read uh, two verses from Matthew 9. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out or to send out laborers into his harvest. I believe we need to pray for that. I believe we need to pray for laborers to go out into the harvest tonight because the harvest is plentiful at you and I. It is so plentiful. Students are desperate for relationship with God. But I believe we need to pray for that, but also just do it because laborers are in this room tonight. God is calling you to be a laborer, to give, or to give up your time, to give up uh, just your just your, uh, like your own desires and to, to labor for the students on this campus. God has called you to be a laborer in the harvest. If you're a Christian, that calling is for you. And you're going to see people come to Jesus.